All right. Welcome back from the holiday weekend, everybody. I hope that you truly had the time to uh, honor and memorialize why we all gathered this weekend. So if you had somebody in your family that paid the ultimate price, thank you to them and uh, for your family for honoring them. I do appreciate it. I'm sure, Kyle, you would agree with those same sentiments. 100%. Yeah. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. Kyle Gillette, Blue Shirt Coaching. And uh, I'm going to kind of, as I said in the pre-show, I'm going to shock the podcast water a little bit. And we're going to start out with something I asked my guests, but I've been remiss lately, at least the last handful of shows. Uh, I asked all of my guests, you know, what charities do you support? Who who are the groups in your community that you like to support and give back to? Uh, Because I think that's important, right? I think supporting the, the community that you do business with, where you live, the people you serve is important in business. I think it's part of that shift of success to significance. So, Kyle, you support a handful of things. You didn't just list one. You actually listed five. Uh, so why don't we go down the list um, and share with everybody listening what it is about these charities that you like and why you choose to support them. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. And that's a killer intro, by the way. So, Oh, well, that's all my producer from Cast Ahead. Yeah, he's, he's killing that. That's you. good stuff. Uh, so yeah, a, a few of them. One of them is called Welcome Pregnancy Clinic. and I don't know where this came from for me and as to why my wife and I really wanted to support this, this ministry, this nonprofit, but it, it helps women that are, that are in the midst of trying to figure out what they want to do with, with the child that they have. And they're pregnant and they're not sure what to do and they need support. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of heart for me. It's kind of a very emotional thing for me, but there's, there's a lot of desire for me to help the widows and the orphans. And so when there's, there's women that are kind of left alone and they don't have support or the child is a little bit left alone and doesn't have support, I want to be able to support that in whatever way that I can. And so, uh, that looks like financial support. Uh, we recently did a, a fun run. I was part of the registration for that and supporting that and also did the, the run myself. So I, I just really appreciate it when I can be a part of something that contributes to, to, generations down the road right so the the impact that this can have on a woman's life and the child's life is is not just right now it's it's generations down the road and so that's one of them uh and then the other one is called Engeti refuge and this is a ministry that's all about helping helping women women that have been sex trafficked and one of my close friends was had been sex trafficked for 15 years <clears throat> excuse me mm, wow. and she was part of the Engeti refuge experience and she turned her life around. She's, she's now, uh, has a, a child and is in love with a man and they're having, they're having a fantastic life. She's running her own business and doing well with that. So this, this ministry has changed the lives of hundreds and hundreds of women. And also it's generational change too. Right. So mm-hmm. that, that type of stuff I love to get behind because that's how I want to approach my family, my business is that. Legacy, not just not just in the moment. In the moment matters, but also legacy. And I think all the listeners would agree with me that that's what they want to do too. And then the other ministries are related to people that I've known through trips that I've gone to other countries to support them in their in their travels and their ministry as they're serving people in their countries. And one of them, I met. Gosh, it's like 15, 16 something years ago. And since that trip, 
I've been supporting them and then got married and my wife and I have been supporting them since then. It's like, it's really cool to know that over the last almost two decades, we've been giving them money to support their, their ministry and their process. And that is so cool. The, the long lasting impact of that is beautiful. So we've been doing that with a few different uh, other ministries and, and people that we know. So those are, those are the, the things that I love to support and get to be directly involved with too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you touched on a few things the- thematically that I think will carry through in our conversation today and have a common thread in some of the conversations I have. And that's that generational focus, that legacy focus. You know, you, you, you shared in the pre show, Hey, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Wacom, uh, pregnancy clinic. However, it might be controversial. Um, and you know, okay. I, I, it might be for some. It's not for me personally. Uh, it's obviously not for you and that's okay. Um, but you know, that's a clinic. That's a, a, a ministry, uh, set up to have focus, to have generational impact. You know, you said something about, uh, referencing it isn't easy. And I don't know if it was within the context of the pregnancy clinic or not, but life's not easy. Generational focus isn't easy. And certainly what you're doing within that clinic would sound as though you're setting up for support for the long term, as you shared with some of the children that, um, that end up living, that end up being here with us. Right. Oh, very cool. Very cool that you have this focus of, uh, generational impact and legacy. So for you and for your family, let's start there. Where, where do you feel that fire comes from? When I was in college, I was wrapping up college and I had, uh, I was afraid to do life. I was afraid to be an adult. I had a lot of fun in college and, and enjoyed hanging out with my friends and school, school was fine. School was cool. Uh, I studied kinesiology, which is exercise science and it's the precursor to physical therapy. And as I did that, I got an externship and then I realized that this, this wasn't the fit for me. So college is winding down. I'm actually units behind for some reason. And so I have to make up those units and I'm 40 pounds overweight, terrified to do life. And I get a phone call from a friend and I'd been to India with him and he called me up and he said, Hey, there's this men's mentoring program that I think you'd be a good fit for. What I would do would be, I would live in the program and help these guys 18 to 25 get their lives on track. And I'm sitting there in my apartment feeling way over my head going, how am I qualified? I need to be the one that's mentored. But I, I, I went for it anyways. I went to the interview, long story short, uh, drove onto the property, did the hour and a half long interview. And the president stood up, shook my hand and said, do you want the job? And I'm like, wait a second, I met you an hour and a half ago and you're offering me a job, which means room and board too. And upending my life entirely. And so I did that. So I said yes on the spot. And within like three weeks, I was living in that place, had graduated college, and would spend the next nine years as part of that program. So oh, wow. seeing these guys and their experiences and the rough upbringing they had, whether it was abuse, drugs, or alcohol, or just not having the confidence that they need, really turned me on in my heart about, okay, this is what, this is what I need to do. I want to serve people in this capacity in some way, shape, or form. And since then, that's been what I've been doing in different contexts, but that's what I've been doing since is just serving people, helping them to be more confident, be more of who they're meant to be, those types of things. And so that passes forward now onto the women's side of things where I can't directly impact them as much as I did with the men, 
but I want to still. And so that's where the financial part and the support part comes in. And I also happen to have three daughters. So you put all that together yep. and it, it makes a lot of sense in my head and heart to be doing what we're doing as a, as a family and in my business. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Very, I mean, a lot of great reason for connection and, and, you know, existence. It's easy, I think, to maintain, or it's not easy. It's hard to maintain that fire of impact and fulfillment because it doesn't just happen. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's truly like an, an ultra marathon. You know, you shared, you, uh, you did the Murph this weekend, which I think a lot, I mean, I, I know a lot of people did, uh, to honor Lieutenant, I believe it's Lieutenant Murphy. Jeez, I hope I don't say that incorrectly, but, uh, he was killed in action in Afghanistan. I believe it was 2005. And, um, you know, a lot of people, um, have a hard time sticking with that commitment of things for a long time because it's not just immediate, right? We have to be able to um, keep that fire going. And it's hard sometimes because we don't, we don't have that instant gratification. And, you know, through, you know, through the lens of three daughters, um, more power to you. I mean, wh- what a time to raise uh, three young women where you've got all of this societal pressure um, around who they should be, what they should do. Um, you care to share a few insights of how you guide them and maybe how that translates to the folks that you lead with Blue Shirt? Yeah, for sure. There's, there's three guiding principles that I want my kids to walk away from my parenting, my wife's parenting of them. And that's one, that they love learning. Two, that they love God. and three that they they really those two are the only two to me that if they can get those figured out anything else is bonus because if you love learning the things that you're struggling with or or battling with you can you can learn and if you love god then you're gonna you're gonna love others too right so if i can teach them that by example and by some words but more example than anything else then that's that's victory for me as as a parent and it's a struggle (laughs) it's a struggle to do that right because Kids yeah. are stubborn and they are, uh, I am stubborn. <laughs> so you put those two things together and it can be a struggle, but love learning and love God. And I think we're going to get some wins in life as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that a hundred, hundred percent. I, you know, I've got the other end, I've got two teenage boys and, you know, I lament at times, but then I also realize how blessed I am as, as, a father and a husband and, and their, and, uh, and their dad that they're, they are really good boys. Um, even though they do frustrate me, they're good kids. <laughs> right. Uh, but I think that's true of every, of every and any parent. Uh, so tell us, so you, you know, you were terrified to do life. You get into this program helping other men. You've since gotten married. Uh, you've had children. How do you arrive, uh, to where you're helping people through your blue shirt coaching business? Yeah. So in that program, we, we ran a pet resort and the pet resort supported the program fully by the time, by the time I got done playing my role in running the pet resort, we had doubled the, the revenue for the business and made it so that now we didn't have to have any other support to, to run this whole men's program. So that was really cool. But I can't take full credit for that because while I was there, there was a, there's a entrepreneur that had started the program in his fifties and he was in year like 10 or 15 by the time I got there. 
And he mentored me the whole time as not only for me as a man, but also for me in business. And so I got the, the Masters of Business Administration live every single day. And every Tuesday, we'd actually meet at, at 11 o'clock and go have lunch together. And he'd mentor me for an hour and a half. He'd teach me and ask me questions. And I'd ask him questions. And we did this for nine years. It was unbelievable. And he had, he had wrapped up his businesses. He had run 30 businesses and he retired in his mid fifties. And he's still working in the program about 30 hours a week now instead of 40. And he's never taken a paycheck from the program. So he did so well that he was able to start the program and successfully continue to be wow. a part of it. And, and I got the privilege of being mentored by him. So that was my, my schooling when it came to business and. Uh, leadership and, and life type things. Plus my dad's a an orange farmer in California. And so I got to, I started working when I was 13 and did that world. So put that together, got into some HR and then discovered disc assessments. And I started doing mm -hmm. workshops and I went, Oh my gosh, I can make some money doing this. Did John Maxwell. And I went, wow, I could do some coaching and some workshops and make some money doing this. And so then I quit my HR job and went full time just over five years ago. Now into this good for you in this world. So that's a very very short version of it, but that's that was my journey. Th this mentor, um, are you comfortable to share his name? Yeah, his name's Jack. Yeah, Jack. So Jack sounds like an interesting character because thirty businesses, you said, ends up devoting what at times was a full time week to an almost full time week and not taking a single paycheck. I mean, right there is the kind of I think generational impact in example and action that yourself and I often uh, speak about, right? 100%. I mean, yeah. And he's, so still in, and he's still in contact with a lot of the guys in the program, and so am I. And, and that's, to me, that shows the impact that he has had. The, the guys are in their, in their late 40s now, and they're, they're calling him to ask him questions about parenting. And to ask him questions about life and about running a business. And, and I get that too from the guys that, that I got to, to mentor while I was there. And that, that's beautiful, right? That's trust. That's allowing people into your life in a way that, uh, that people are afraid to do, right? So I've been invited into their yep. lives in really powerful ways. And that's mm -hmm. a privilege, right? That's a privilege for me. So pretty, pretty neat. And I was, I was very fortunate to have all that. All those things line up between the trip to India and my friend John reaching out to me and all these things lined up. But I think when we all look, look back on our lives, we'll see that. We'll see how everything's just lined up just right. And there's this string or this thread through our lives that once we find it, we just start grabbing a hold of it and keep pulling on it. And it moves us down the path we're supposed to be on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those, those strings that we pull on, those moments of listening, whether we, recognize it as a time to listen or not. You know, I, I can speak from a personal standpoint, the last, I don't know, the week to 10 days, I shared this on my social media channels last night, kind of like feeling like in a funk, just really testy would be the word. Mm. And um, I kind of realize that I'm spending time on, it's, I use the word pointless and pointless isn't the right word, but it's, it's pointless work for the sake of this conversation and moment versus work that is leading to fulfillment and impact. And I was just feeling very rudderless and testy would be that word. And I realized that as I'm sitting by my campfire, um, Sunday night, I guess it was. And I'm like, you know, 
idiot. You know, I'm hard on myself, right? I'm like, you know, you idiot. Those three podcasts where I guessed it on or worse to guest on that canceled in the last 10 days, that was, that was, that was a message. It wasn't, it wasn't really your best use of time. Hmm. You know, um, I've since, you know, I booked those a while back and I've since, uh, really focused. If I'm going to go and guest on somebody's show, um, it's going to lead to the areas of fulfillment and impact that I want to have. And, and so I would challenge and I'll ask you, how do you challenge the people you work with to think about their life that way, to tune in to listening to that higher being? You know, you and I would call it God. Others, again, this isn't a show about forcing you into uh, belief and faith. It's, it's what I would say is to think that everything is just coincidental mm -hmm. in life is a really rough way to go about life, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so how do you, from your perspective and your years of expertise and guidance and mentorship and then being a mentor, how do you get people to focus in on listening to what's being told to them? Yeah, you know, I've had some new insight with that recently uh, through some training that I did and through conversations with my kids and my wife. So I'll speak to the the listening part first and then some other ways that we can tune in a little bit more. Uh, the listening part, it, it, there's some fascinating statistics about listening. In our culture, when it comes to having a conversation with someone, we are interrupted every 11 seconds. And that's a verbal interruption. There's other interruptions, right? We have our, our phones interrupt us. We When we're talking with someone, they could look away and not engage with us anymore. They could... Um, turn their body and do something different. So there's also other interruptions. So when we're having conversations with people, we're constantly interrupted from having that conversation. So listening is is an issue in our in our culture and in the world. People do not listen well. They don't listen with their eyes and their whole entire body, and they don't listen without interrupting. Uh, there's not this really holding what someone is saying and listening to it without needing to respond. And, and I have a, I have a method I call the wiser way of listen, listening that, that mm. walks people through how to listen better. But ultimately it's, if we really want to get to a better place when it comes to listening and listening to that higher power and listening to what other people have to say and taking it in, we just, we need to learn to be quiet, learn to be quiet and give that eye contact, give that full attention. So that's, that's one way that, that I would suggest people take. Be okay with pauses. Be okay with that silence when you're in a conversation. Let the other person continue to think. When you do that, you change lives. Literally, you change lives. Because that's what, in my experience with coaching, my experience with mentoring these guys, what they needed was someone to actually listen to them. And so do my clients. They just need someone to listen to them. Yes, yes, there is questions that I ask. And yes, there is some input that I give, right? Some, some suggestions or whatnot. But for the most part, what people really need is someone to genuinely care and listen and be available to them without any sort of agenda that they have themselves. So I just leave it at that for the listening part of the equation. Yes. And I was very intentional <laughs> on listening there. <laughs> um, but no, you, you are a hundred percent right that I didn't know that stat about every 11 seconds, there's a verbal interruption. Um, so when you said that one out, look at the clock, I'm like, well, I've gone at least 11 seconds, but it's freeing. 
Oh, it is. Yeah. When, when you don't interrupt, I know I kind of interrupted you, <laughs> but when you, when you don't, it's freeing. And we're trying to teach our kids how to do that with one another and with us, right? Because I'm already doing that work with my clients. I'm already doing that work with some of my friends is just showing them these things and, and doing the work is mostly being the example than, than anything else. But mm-hmm. with my kids, it's, I have to be a little bit more clear about it. Like you interrupted me, give, let me finish. And then it's your turn. And that level of respect will change change their opportunities for success, especially in this world where seven seconds is the most attention people can give us, right? Because all social media stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. A lot to unpack there. You know, I think, and I'll get, I want to get your, um, your feedback on this. I think where we have such a hard time listening in society is the minute, and, th- and this goes to uh, what come, what come county, sorry, what come pregnancy clinic? This goes to how we started off our pre-show. Um, it goes to when people listen to somebody else, they're immediately focused on countering what's going to be said. Um, maybe looking to one up what's going to be said, loudly agree with what's going to be said, tell them to say it a different way, even if you agree or disagree. And, you know, uh, you know, you, you'd said, uh, about the ministry that you do through the pregnancy clinic about supporting life that am I okay to talk about that? And I said, a hundred percent, I'm okay to talk about that because it's okay to have free discussion in our society and it's okay to listen to each other and it's okay to support people who want to make an educated choice an informed choice and a choice within a network of support, which it seems is exactly what you're doing with the clinic. But when it comes down to listening, we, we, and I'll get your feedback on this now, it's almost as though we listen to then over-talk, over-speak, throw ourselves on top of what was just said. How did we get there? We're pretty narcissistic in general. Uh, I'm narcissistic, uh, uh, not in its strictest definition, but you know, I'm self-focused and the only thoughts that I have are my thoughts. And when I'm, when I'm paying attention to other people, I have something to say too, because I've got some wisdom to offer here. Or I have some insight or I have some story. And so it's pretty easy to get roped into that. But I think what I've learned is how to overcome that is to just by default, believe that the person that you're talking to is absolutely fascinating, that their story, what the way they think, what they have to say is, is riveting. And if you can start with that premise, when you're talking to anybody, whether it's a client, a friend, a spouse, your child, if you start with that premise that they, they are riveting and whatever's going on in their head is absolutely fascinating. Now your life changes and your need to talk shifts significantly. Now it's, it's exciting to listen because when you talk to that seven year old and actually ask them, Hey, what do you think about what we should do here? What do you think we should do this weekend? It becomes extremely intriguing instead of having to control, right? So if I let go of my, my need to control my narcissistic tendencies at times and lean into, I believe this person I'm talking to right now is fascinating. It changes, it changes my perspective and it takes time to do that because we're always in our own heads. We're never in anybody else's head. But as you lean more and more into it, it's, it's a beautiful thing and you can enjoy the quiet. You can enjoy just listening and what they have to say with that also. Right. We get to learn how to be quiet and then listen to what potentially God has to say to us because we've shut down our own thoughts and our own control over the situation. Then we can actually hear 
what he has to say to us because we're, we're willing and able to hear it because he is pretty fascinating. <laughs> so I should mm-hmm. probably be quiet and listen <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's the hardest, uh, one of the hardest things that I do is, uh, sitting in that moment and moments. Uh, and I say moment because I'll, t- it's usually moment and then my brain goes and I'm out of active listening mode. But, um, no, we do need to practice. And I think, you know, your, your focus with what you do in coaching is about that, um, point of being self-aware and that point of saying, sometimes people just need you to listen. And I think that can, I know that transcends to your children. It transcends to your spouse. It transcends to your employees, the people you lead. Uh, it can also transcend out to your vendor partners, your service partners, ad partners. I mean, the more I'm, I'm really big on this concept as of late because it's a book that I'm authoring. Um, later today, I'll spend some time with it to pass it off by next week to my editor, but it's about creating this space around us as leaders to bring other people in. And we can't create that space if we're just constantly talking out at them. And so where would you rate listening as a leader on the self-awareness scale of things? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. I like it. I, I would say listening is, is near the top, right? I mean, if it's not, if self-awareness is the top, then listening is the, the sub-skill that's the next one to help you become that, that great leader. Uh, because who are, you're, you're leading people, not things, and people have things to say and, and input to provide. Uh, in in my coaching, blue is actually an acronym uh, that stands for four things. I, I believe it's the four pillars of great leadership. And and the B is be a self aware leader. Is is the first piece. It's the foundation of the house. If you picture if you picture a a leadership house, be self aware is the the foundational piece. Then the L is lead with accountability. And accountability, just like it shows there, is the nails that holds a leadership house together. All right. So you those two. When you put those two together as become more self-aware, then you have higher levels of accountability. And by default, growth happens. And in the leadership house, I describe growth as the walls and the roof. And then from that growth, because you're more self-aware, you have better accountability and you're growing, you have the opportunity now to empower other people. What happens after you empower other people? You got to loop back around because there's new self-awareness that's happening. And it's this beautiful synergy of uh, and cycle of growing and growing and growing, but it starts with self-awareness. And then the, at the end of it, when it comes to empowerment, the best way you can empower is what we've been talking about here, which is listen. And then it loops back around again. So it's this wonderful loop of, of growth that starts to build on itself. Once you get to this moment, you get to this momentum point, and then it just becomes automatic that the growth happens and the new awareness happens, et cetera. Yeah. Almost perpetual like. Yep. Yep. And yeah. there's seasons like you were just talking about where it's, you were having a rough season. Uh, and so right. maybe it's a little slower, but it's happening. And then when we look back, which is the second habit I wanted to mention about that question that you asked me. But when we look back on that growth, on that experience, then we get new self-awareness from it, right? And and that's that's the key, right? We have to we have to be not only paying attention to what's going on around us, but also going, wait a second, I I did change. I did grow. There are things that have happened that are great that happen, and I need to remember that, not yeah. beat myself so much up about what what I'm not doing or the growth that I thought I was supposed to have, et cetera. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I have one question that I want to ask and kind of take a left turn in our conversation, but let's come back to celebrating, you know, the concept of celebrating your wins out loud Mm -hmm. and how that's not a selfish thing. Um, it's a, to me, it's a leadership principle, but the E in blue is about empowering. So I want to take a left turn back to, um, in Getty, uh, in Getty Refuge. So this is a, uh, charity that you, organization that you support that helps end sex trafficking of women. And you shared that you have a friend who's been in, you know, who was sex trafficked for 15 years, I think you said. Did that relationship happen as a result of you following this process and ultimately empowering her to kind of stand out in her own strength and away from that and, and get away? How did your relationship begin and how does that fall into this cycle of your, uh, your four pillars of leadership? Yeah. So I met her after she finished the program. And so she had turned, she put all the work in three years. I think her story is three years of putting the work in to get herself to be healthy uh, again. And so I met her and and learned of her story and then realized that we were both connected to the same nonprofit, both connected to the same leader of the nonprofit. And so we started, I started learning more about her and she's shared more of her story with this friend group that we're a part of. And so all it, what it did for me was reinforce how beautiful it is what's happening through that program, right? Her, her life is, her life is really great. I mean, her life is in this way, way better spot. And the beautiful thing is last week or two weeks ago, we were having a conversation and it looks like now she's ready to start to advocate to help women that are in this place themselves, right? She's ready to step into it again because and I mean, just to step back into that world is very, very scary for them. And I don't even fully understand at all yeah. how scary that is, but she's willing to step in and have those conversations and support and, and educate people that don't understand that world at it, in any way, shape or form. And I'm one of those people. So I, I want to, I right. want to support her in that path because it's a very ugly, ugly thing that we've got going on in this country and across the world. And so it is. She went through a lot, but it's it's wonderful that she's now stepping up to this place where she's willing to step in, and I want to support her in that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you and I are similar in the fact of uh, supporting those types of charities through our retail business. We've had on our show there, our podcast show there, a couple times, and we've donated over the years. And and whenever they have current events, we share them out. But North Star Initiative, they support. Uh, women who are, who have been and are being sex trafficked, get them out of those environments. And it is, it, when you reference three years, I, I just, a picture was right in my head of the, their year in report they just mailed out. And it is that, th- it is three year cycle for them as well from the minute they rescue or the minute somebody comes into contact with them to the moment, I guess that graduate would be the word I would use, although it doesn't feel like the right, right. word. Um, but that they leave, that they can leave the program in most cases feeling confident. And, and you're right. Jumping back into that, what a, what a power of powerful move and position of strength that has to be for your friend. You know, I would imagine it's akin to an alcoholic, you know, going into a bar, you yep. know, to, to try and not to minimize anything, 
but you know, to try and help other alcoholics and, but you got to go do so on Friday night at 11 o'clock when the music's flowing and the vibe is good, right? Really tough stuff. Um, that's really a, a powerful story for your friend. I'm happy that where she's at, I'm happy that you can relate that her life is great. And I'm positive that she would say the same. Yeah. That's awesome for her. Oh yeah. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> really, really cool. Is. Um, and so that's kind of a win. Uh, if you will, it's not kind of, it is a win. It is a win for your friend. And one of these things that I think happens in our world is people, you know, they're people like you and I, if I can assume for a minute, celebrating wins is kind of difficult, right? We don't want people to say things about what our accomplishments but I think celebrating wins is important because it's that example of doing the work. It is being an example, which is one of your pillars. Um, and, uh, uh, or I guess dovetails into leading with accountability. Um, why do you think it's become odd? It's almost like we got this barbell effect in our society. You've got our youth looking up to all of these online influencers and people who really have very little offer of substance, right? A lot of their cloud is gathered in by pranks and skin and doing absurd things. And then on the flip side of that, no, no, don't, don't show off good grades. Don't show off success. Don't show off hiring. Don't show off that new investment in machinery or the new vehicle in the company. How do we, how do we get here? How do we fix that? Mm. I think we need to be vulnerable. I think is is a big piece of it, and not insta famous, not not the Instagram life. I, I don't know what it's called. I don't I don't really use that platform. But but you know, you put your perfect life on display, and and when we're vulnerable, yep. like you just were earlier in this episode, where you're sh- sharing, I was having a rough time the last few days, and this and that, and you posted it on social social, and I think that you're the people that follow you and and care about you. That's really encouraging to them. Because we don't have it figured out. Uh, I don't have it figured out. You know, last year was the best year ever in my business, but this year's been different. And I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I'm doing well with the clients that I have, but for some reason, it's been harder to get clients than I thought it would be this year. And that's, that's frustrating, but that's real. That's raw, right? I I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have it perfectly figured out. And I think people are getting tired of that fake. I have it perfectly figured out. Here's, here's the five steps to a perfect life. You get to go on vacation all the time and have all this freedom. Be joyful, but be real in it too. And I think that that's what kids nowadays really, really desperately need because all they see is fake life and 30-second snippets. Uh, and, and that's dangerous because you don't, most people don't get that life instantly. And if they did, it's not on their own doing. And so it's a very false and fake life to, to try to, to emulate. Now you can desire to have those freedoms and desire to enjoy the trap. That's great. And go do it once, once you get there. But if you're putting that out there to the world in a way that's not legitimate of how you got there, I think that's a huge disservice to all these fragile kiddos out there. Uh, you know, you got 11 year olds online looking at this stuff and they're very fragile and it impacts them in a huge way. So I want to be genuine, which I am on my social. I am on my podcast episodes. I am in my writing. So people see that I'm a real person. I, I, I don't have yeah. it all figured out. I can help you 
but I don't have it all figured out. Let's not pretend that I do. And right. if, if you want someone that has it all figured out, I'm not your right guy, you know, and, and that's fine because I don't think yeah. we'd be a good fit. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's such a, such an important thing to say. I mean, I have a coaching group that I lead, uh, with two other people, um, which I feel is very dynamic and different because I've come to learn as, as you've realized, I'm sure that people learn differently. They take oh, yeah. in information differently and they connect with people differently. And so the three of us have this group and, um, uh, we, we very bluntly say, you know, we're not perfect, but the three of us bring very unique dynamics of leadership to the collective. And if you can get down with that, I think we're going to have a really good time. Um, but yeah, that, that perfect coach, that perfect leader, I don't think really truly does exist. I think anybody that espouses that, you should look very <laughs> questionable. You should look with a lot, look to them with a lot of questions. Right. Would probably be the nicest way that I could say it. And, um, yeah. Uh, so I'll throw a question from you and making a hard right turn. You think we should take cell phones out of schools altogether? Ooh, ooh. Yeah, it's funny. My daughter, she's 11. So I have th three mm -hmm. girls and my oldest is 11. And so she's starting to want a cell phone. And she, she pitched us the idea probably three months ago because then, then when my friends go to the playground, I could, I can know where they are and not be confused and go be able to hang out with them instead of running around trying to find them. Such a sweet, innocent reason, right? Like so sweet, mm -hmm. so innocent. Um, and we said, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> Basically, that's not a good enough reason. Come to right. us again with a, a, a better presentation on why you think it, it's worth it to have a phone. And so she hasn't, she knows she's supposed to do that if she's going to get a phone and she hasn't done it yet. And I don't want to give her a phone until she's at, at least in eighth, somewhere around eighth grade, maybe, maybe seventh grade. So she has another full school year to go. Uh, but man, the, the shorter answer is it's, it's, it's not about the kids having the phones. It's, a, it's about how the parents give the kids the phone. What is, mm -hmm. what is this phone for? And explaining that very clearly to them and restricting it because not for a lack of control of the child, but for a lack of control of what phones can do because ads pop up that I can't control and that kid can't control and they have no bad intentions that the kid doesn't. Yep. And, and neither do I when it comes to, to them using YouTube or TikTok or whatever's out there. Right. But ads pop up and, and that messes with that kid's mind. And if, if, there is not clarity around what's okay and what's not okay between the kid and the parent. We got some problems. So my, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are both teachers at a, at a school that my kids go to and they hate the cell phones. Uh, the way the school mm, tries to make it work is they, they make them put the phones in a, in a carrier on a door so the kids can't have the phones, but some of the kids have two phones and some of them don't do it. And so then there's a fight with the teacher about it. it it's, it's terrible. The more, the more yeah. that I think about a cell phone, like a pack of cigarettes, I think the more accurate we can look at what a cell phone really is for people in terms of addiction and wow. its health impact too, or its negative health impact. So do I really want to hand my 11 year old a pack of cigarettes and say, do what you want with this as much as you want, as often as you want? And the obvious answer is no. And so in a school, I don't get to control the school by any means, but I would love for them to recognize the addictive nature of, and there's studies all over the place about how damaging cell phones are to kids and, and adults. Uh, so 
Would I want to remove cell phones? Yes, I would. I grew up in an era where what we did at in high school was we stood around in a circle and talk, and it was beautiful. Like heaven forbid children stand around and talk with each other or play on the playground yeah. and kick the soccer ball. Around. Yeah. So that's my long answer. It, it was a fantastic answer. And man, I'm going to be, you know, Chris, our producer with us today, who's with me every day in every show that I do or host at least, uh, he's going to hear me say this all the time. And um, what a tremendous analogy to relate a cell phone to a pack of cigarettes. And if I could add to it, yeah, I would say that pack of cigarettes with the Joe Cool Camel ad campaign and points behind it. 100%. Is that fair? Oh, 100 and maybe worse, right? Yeah. Because the whole world is addicted to these things, including myself. And I'm, I'm breaking that addiction by leaving my phone and iPad upstairs after work. And I don't use it in bed. And there's all kinds of things that I'm, it's, it has a purpose and a place, but that's it now for me. And it's still hard. I sometimes break those rules. Yeah. Uh, the weekend is the hardest. So if I can't as a 40 year old man do this, then how in the world do I expect a seventh and eighth grader or high schoolers to pull that off? They can't. They just, they clearly can't. Um, yeah. And it's not a willpower issue. I posed, I posed this question to somebody that I know who went to, um, oh, I forget the comedian now. It wasn't Chappelle, but it was another comedian show. And they've uh, instituted these, I think they're called yonder bags, where it's like a secure bag. It's got an RFID chip in it so you can track it or a, like a air tag type thing so you can track it in case the bag goes missing, right? Right. Um, so it's secure. It's kind of like checking your coat. You check your phone at the door because these comedians, you know, they're not in arenas and they're in more of an intimate setting and they're, they're just sick and tired of, you know, a phone being like this. I'm on video now. This is why it pays to watch, um, the show, right? You get to see all the context and the body language and listen better. <laughs> right. But, you know, the comedians are sick and tired of having people's, their, their people's who are in seats phone in their face. They're sick of looking at the camera and the flashes. And so I posed the question to uh, some friends of mine about no phones in schools. And I was very surprised. They said, no, no way. Could never do that. What, what if I lost contact with my child? I said, but you went away to a two-hour comedy show and had no contact with your child in the evening on a Friday or Saturday night. You know? So, can we think about it differently? Mm -hmm. And and I, you know, I, I this is this is something that's at the forefront of my mind because I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it happen with my 15 year old. The influence of of phones, and he's done a good job. I think I, I feel he does a good job of moderating, and we work with him. But uh, yeah, I'm really cool. I'm really glad we took this little turn in the conversation. Um, well, and there's a there's a lack of trust. And sometimes warrant it, you know, in my, in my school, the school that my kids go to, we, we really love the administration. We really love the teachers and they're doing a great job. Now I know that is not the case in every school. <laughs> I understand that. So it's harder. Uh, but there's a lack of trust of the people that your kids are with, right? My, mm -hmm. unfortunately, my six year old gets in trouble frequently. She's, she's pretty mouthy and moody and she'll pinch and she'll hit unfortunately and so she goes to the principal's office uh, mm. she goes to the principal's office at least once a week and and i'm not really embarrassed to say it but i'm frustrated to have to say it 
Uh, right. But we trust that if something's happening with her, they're going to get a hold of us. And they have faithfully done that. And what happened for the last several decades in schools, when something happened with a kid, there was a phone call that was made. Right now, I understand also there's violence in schools that's different. We're in a different era. So it's, it's not that simple. I get it. Uh, but I think if we can separate the phone from in the classroom a bit more, that would serve teachers and the education context in a huge way, the classroom context in a huge way. So yeah. I'm all for that type of separation. Let's get the phone out of the literal classroom. Yeah, sure. Have it on the playground, whatever, or have it at break. But otherwise, these teachers are already struggling enough with immature mm-hmm. kids. They don't need another thing to distract them. And that's firsthand from brother and sister-in-law, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and to your analogy about a pack of cigarettes, okay, you can't quit smoking. Uh, can you cut it down by a third, right? So you don't smoke when you sleep, right? Um, you, you can smoke through a third of your day and you can smoke through the other two thirds of your day. Well, if you can be off your cell phone where you're sleeping, which there's a whole section of kids that are sleep deprived in sleep debt, detrimental to their health because they are waking up checking their phone. But let's, let's assume for the sake of conversation, they are sleeping throughout the night. That's a third of their day. If we could reduce the third of their day in school without a phone. Right. Okay. Keep smoking, but do it one third less. Let's start there. Like, I think that's a good place to start. Um, man, I have enjoyed our conversation uh, immensely. And I want to finish on um, your ability as a leader to have these kinds of conversations. Where, where do you feel leaders get the most benefit talking with those they lead, um, leading these kinds of conversations where differences of opinion happen even though we're, I feel we're very of like mind and congruent in a lot of things. Um, and it would be okay if we weren't. But where, where do leaders benefit by having these conversations? And why should they step out of typical leadership framework to have them? Yeah, one of the things that I love to talk about with my clients, it would, you know, the opportunity usually arises. And I, don't, I never know when it's going to arise, but it usually does. And, and that's to have the conversation that says, I want you to, to think about that you're employing the unconscious mind of your employee in addition to the conscious mind of your employee. And if your employees go home and they're thinking about your business and they're, and they can't sleep, then you've done a bad job as a leader because they're stressed and they're worried and they're anxious about the job. But if they go home and they go to sleep and they're thinking about the business because you've asked them really powerful questions and engaged their unconscious mind, engage their creative mind, in other words, their innovative mind, now you've done a great job as a leader. And the difference is the the employee doesn't know or that they don't quite realize as much so that those questions are engaging their mind, the, the back of their mind, quote unquote, while they're sleeping, while they're walking around, while they're just doing their day. But if they're complaining about your leadership or, or worried about the work during during the day or while they're laying in bed, we're we're not doing the right thing. We're not doing a good job leading. How do you do that? You give people one-to-one time. That's the, that's the biggest thing I got from all the businesses that I've been in and all the mentoring that I've been in is one-to-one time changes lives and one-to-one time changes businesses too. If, if the leader spends one-to-one time with the people that they directly lead, 
especially as the business owner, this is going to change your business in more than any other way possible because they begin to know, like, and trust you. Just because they work for you does not mean they know, like, and trust you. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you know, like, and trust them either. We have to continue mm-hmm. that that going around those bases, right? Of the no like, and trust bases. And the best way to do that is to spend one-to-one time with them. Someone might be asking, what does that mean? Well, that means two to 12-minute conversations. And in my book, I talk about this. But it's spending two minutes with someone, they knock on your door and they have a question for you. Instead of giving them an answer, you ask them a question. What do you think? That forward question is is often a a tip that I give at the end of an interview. I, I say, just remember this question. What do you think? Four words changes your business forever, right? So they walk in and they ask you a question. They've got a problem and you ask them, well, what do you think? And you continue to do that. It changes, it changes the dynamic between the two of you. It up levels the trust. It up levels the innovation, the efficiency, so on and so forth. Now imagine you do that with every employee that works with you or works for you directly. Okay. So now let's say you have a, ten, a team of 10 people. Now all of them know, like, and trust you. And then you do it in the context of a group of people, right? In a, in a, in a meeting of several people. And now they're all know, like, and trust one another because they've been having those conversations and it's starting, and it's starting to create this synergy of thinking that changes the way that the business is run, changes the relationships between the people. So if any, to take anything away from this, I would say, ask the question, what do you think of your employees? And, and it'll move forward real quick on the book. That book is having to be pulled off of the shelf for some legal reasons. I'm going to republish it under a mm. new name because some monster mega company bullied me. And so I'm going to have to, mm. I'm going to republish it under a new name that's going to have, going to be more of the blue brand. So you actually can't buy that book right now, but I did write it and it was published. <laughs> so, and you may or may not be able to send privately a copy, a couple of copies you have, maybe or maybe not, but, uh, yeah, that sucks. Sorry to for sorry for that. That's that's okay. It's actually, it's going to turn around for good. It's going to be a good thing. I've, I've already, I'm already committed that it's going to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so that's what's going to happen. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. No, I love that question. What do you think? Um, I often look to the people on my teams to, you know, my my, my saying is let's look. I always look for initiative. Always mm-hmm. take the take the chance. Let's try mm-hmm. something. And I want you to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you think it benefits our customers and their experience with us. And if we fail, let's look at why. And that's okay. If we yeah. fail, we'll just learn a little faster and we won't do it next time. Uh, I think it's in that realm of what do you think, but what an easier, simpler way to say it. What do you think? I love that. I really do. So I think that is a great time to wrap up our time together today. Kyle, this has been a real joy for me. Needed it. Uh, needed the conversation. Welcomed it. Love all you're doing with your group, Blue Shirt Coaching. You can check out what Kyle's doing at blueshirtcoaching.com. Uh, we've been flashing all of his stuff up on the screen. I say we, that's our amazing producer, Chris Stone with Cast Ahead. Uh, you can get in touch with Chris at castahead.net. His info's in the contact notes as is all of Kyle's, his LinkedIn, his uh, website, his Facebook group. Uh, what goes on in the Facebook group? Yeah, it's a group Blue of business group. owners. Yeah, it's a group of business owners that are exchanging information, networking together, sharing insights. I pop in like short form courses that I've created. I pop in quotes to encourage people, polls to get people talking. 
Uh, it's it's a place for people to do what I was just saying before, which is know, like, and trust. Right? Get to know each other, start to like each other and trust each other. And what happens from that? Well, usually you get to grow a bit and then sometimes you actually get to do some business with each, with each other. So that's what the community is about is those things and an exchange of very business cool. and opportunities. Yeah, very cool. So if you, from listening to the show, if you go in, uh, givers gain, add value first before you look to take, please. I'm sure, Kyle, you could agree with that sentiment. Yep. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know as an admin of Curbs, you always want to welcome new people, but when new people come in and just start group blasting, hey, here's my thing. It's like, well, that wasn't really the point of why I built this community. So yep. give value. Give value in Blue Shirt Group at the Facebook group where great things happen with Kyle's leadership. Kyle, I've really appreciated this. Um, real quick on the cell phone note, my business partner went through the same thing you did with his, his daughter, who's their oldest child. Uh, there is a device out there, and I forget the name of it, but I'm sure you could search it. It looks like a smartphone, feels like a smartphone, but mom and dad can control it completely. You can preload games on there. It can text, it can make calls, but only mom and dad have the web portal to upload all those things. So it's not hooked up to Play Store. It's not hooked up to the App Store, which means you don't get all those ads, which means you don't get all that tracking. So pretty neat little device. You know, maybe your daughter can sell you on that one. I don't know. We'll let that up to her. That's a pretty cool idea. That's a g- great idea for sure. Yeah. It worked for his family tremendously well because there was a lot of, a lot of peer pressure, um, in, in the school for him and his daughter. So, so yeah, just figured I would share that as we wrap up. But, um, Kyle, man, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate your focus and what you're doing to help people be a better self aware leader, um, and, uh, and help grow themselves and those around you. And I really love all the ways you're giving back. Again, Whatcom Pregnancy Clinic in Getty Refuge. And there was a few others that we included in the show notes that have been important to your journey. Kyle, blessings to you and your family, your daughters, your wife, and all that you do to impact. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. And we'll see you next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, It's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.com. 
Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.